Welcome to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and right over there, world traveler, our CTO, Jeff Freed. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Pete. I'm delighted to be here as always. You have been on a crazy whirlwind tour, uh, literally around the world at this point? Um, I'm mostly just two continents, North America and Europe. I think the other five continents are yet to be conquered. Jeff Reed, a CTO and BA Insight Columbus, uh, conquering the world with Enterprise Search. I uh, am very excited about our conversation today. You're going to give us an update on the state of AI in search. Uh, before we get started, I do have uh, just a little bit of news for frequent listeners, uh, two bits that may uh, impact you all. First of all, if you are a frequent YouTube listener, we have built out our entire back catalog of podcasts on YouTube, particularly YouTube Red subscribers uh, find that listening to podcasts on YouTube is a, a really good experience experience. And and so there you go. If you want to open up a web browser and check out our latest episodes on YouTube, you know, while you're doing something else, leave us on in the background, the uh, lilting tones of uh, enterprise search conversation in the background. We are there for you. The other is Spotify. Spotify subscribers, we've, I mean, we've, I have had podcasts in the queue with Spotify for three years, Jeff, three years. And they finally opened the floodgates. And so we are now in Spotify, if you want to follow us over there, uh, if you and keep all of your uh, music and podcast entertainment in one place, uh, two new places to find shared insights. So we invite you to check those out. Those are those are two of my favorite places, and perhaps now I can get my kids to listen to our. Podcast. <laughs> it's pretty much the because, only way. <laughs> exactly, if it's not on YouTube or Spotify, they won't listen to they it. They won't find it. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it, you know, it's amazing how quickly the uptake is. You know, we we're watching the analytics, and and I mean, almost immediately. The moment we went live in, in Spotify, we started seeing streams, which is very cool. Uh, there is clearly some pent-up demand. And weirdly, I would say, not a great podcast experience, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's built around music. And so when you listen to it from podcasting, I hear I am, you know, slamming it after we just announced that we're there, which is great. But if you're a frequent, like if you have a podcast app, uh, you will find that this doesn't have a lot of features that are commonly found in podcast apps that, that you know, it's a little bit frustrating. So you have to see- Sing in order to make this work. We do. So <laughs> let's wait. Let's, let's proceed. Sing for your supper. All right. So the latest in AI in search. Uh, do you want to uh, give us an update on where you've been and what you have heard in your travels of late? Sure. Well, I, I guess the first thing is to say that I, I really have been on a whirlwind. Uh, I, I uh, looked back, and in this quarter, meaning October, November, it's we're recording this in December of 2017. I was at 12 conferences and gave 23 talks. And uh, I really enjoy providing education, but I'm pretty sick of hearing myself talk. So <laughs> hopefully listeners are not quite as sick of me. Uh, at, at, in the middle of November, I had 14 talks in two weeks that included wow. a full-day workshop. It is actually exhilarating to see the demand for education about search uh, because I'd say a good half of these sessions were about how do you become successful with search in some form or another mm-hmm. uh, with cloud. I still uh, help people a lot with cloud hybrid search, which is a Microsoft approach that works quite well. 
but you need to sort of know the tricks. Uh, and we're increasingly working with Elasticsearch and Azure Search. And a lot of that is educational about both the technology and also the practices. Uh, I had two of these workshops were half-day workshops that we call a search manager's boot camp with nothing but practices. You know, how do you manage a search program effectively and really independent of technology? So that's one big theme is that people are showing up to these sessions. I actually, frankly expected to get rejected from about half of these places and nobody actually rejected me, which is why I had such a busy schedule. When they come to these sessions, are you finding them, are you finding a, a sort of locus of questions that centers around AI? Uh, yes. I think that there's sort of the next wave of search is in some form a more intelligent wave of search. And it has lots of different names. Some analysts call it cognitive search. At some level, it is all about AI in search. And lots of questions about that and lots of both hype and heightened expectations. You know, AI in, in general is at the height of a new hype cycle and starting to come down to earth a little bit, which I'm, I'm glad about. I was just last week, I gave a couple of talks at AI World here in Boston, which was sort of the you know ground zero of what the practices are in the AI field in general. And I'll say the outer ring of AI in search, I've done a lot of teaching about the AI world in particular. It was about sort of the deep dive into deep learning. So that's definitely a theme. So, uh, you know, I, I think this gets us into an interesting point. When you when you talk about what you are talking about when you're teaching about AI, about, you know, cognitive search uh, in, in these presentations, is it, what does it mean to talk about, you know, deep talk about deep learning uh, in, in enterprise? Good question. It depends um, because different people are in different places. For example, at a lot of the SharePoint forums. So for example, um, SharePoint Saturday, New England, it's basic education about where AI applies in search. And some of these things are the same thing that's been used in search for quite some time, but in new clothing, if you will. Natural language processing, relevance and learning to rank are both areas that are now considered AI but also in new ways of interacting with search, uh, in particular use of bots, speech rec, image search, those kind of things. Um, I have a recorded hour on Collab 365, which is a group that does a fabulous job. Uh, so we'll put a link into the show notes there. That's a deeper dive specifically for developers about using Azure Cognitive Services with enterprise search because there's a new set of, I'll say, easy-to-use toys and building blocks. I, I did a talk for the Cognitive Computing Consortium that outlines that there are five companies that are all investing over $1.6 billion each in AI, and they're all part of the partnership in AI focused on helping make sure that the technology is trustworthy because the biggest impediment to adoption is a lack of trust. So that side of teaching about AI and search was in Collab 365 was about how do you build it? 
when I spoke at the text analytics forum, it was really about how AI is applied to techniques to make content processing more powerful. I also spoke at a, a place called the Monage Conference, which is a new conference dedicated to conversational technology. And you'll hear that term a lot. Google and Microsoft both talk about how conversation is the new platform. Uh, the Monage Conference was all about dialogue with bots and AI and search in that context was all around connecting chatbots into search systems and how to effectively use dialogue techniques. And then, of course, as I mentioned, at AI World um, was really much more into deep learning and the use of a, of a technique called transfer learning. Depending upon the audience and where there are, as usual, I can I can talk about almost anything for an arbitrary length of time because I'm a form, I'm a former <laughs> academic. Uh, well, I do have a question, and first of all, an observation: I can't believe just how insidious conversational bots have become in my house. You know, between Siri and and Alexa and Cortana, they are all getting so good every time it works. I, it, well, I should say it's no longer an incredible surprise every time it works, and that's the incredible surprise to me. Uh, these are incredibly satisfying experiences and, and remarkably natural once you once you kind of internalize it I wonder if you could talk about any surprises that you picked up along the way what was it that it, was there anything as you kind of examined uh, what else was going on at these conferences that that surprised you about where development was coming from and and what was being worked on Did you learn anything fascinating oh, absolutely that but I'll say the first fascinating thing I learned is that you Pete are using both uh, Cortana and Alexa and Google Now simultaneously in your household. And, and Siri, Siri, Siri as definitely. well. Have you, have you trained them yeah, to talk yeah. to each other? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I guess in a way I have because I have some devices that only work on certain platforms, right, in terms of the smart home and the light bulbs and the different systems. And I just this weekend, as I was outfitting my Christmas tree uh, to be voice activated, I realized I have to have one device talk to another device in the back end in order to activate properly with a certain schema. That's remarkable to me. And I, you know... I can't, I got the little hair stand up on the back of my neck when it it's, works. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't have a voice-activated Christmas tree, so I'm, I'm clearly behind you on the, the technology curve. But the <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the thing to celebrate the most here for me. I feel like I just put another notch on my computer. Yeah, there screen. you go. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you take a knife to your computer screen enough, you might do some real damage. But I. But, one thing that has surprised me is the lack of interoperability of these different platforms. You know, in some yeah. ways, all of them are using the same underlying AI technology. There's really only five different forms of machine learning. Those have not significantly changed. So given a particular task, you'll apply one or perhaps two of those. But when it comes specifically to dialogue systems, bots, Trek, I'm starting to see some augmented reality applications using search. They're not interoperability. You have to write something using Alexa skills. You have to write it again using Lewis Dialog on the Microsoft platform, etc. 
as you know, I've I've predicted that there'd be a convergence of these models for a while, and uh, well, we'll cover my my failure in prediction perhaps on the next podcast. Uh, so I've been surprised that even with the huge and rapid progress and the interoperability of a lot of these models, you can now take uh, a TensorFlow model. TensorFlow is one of the big open source machine learning programs, and it's now supported on Google Cloud. Google was the initial force behind TensorFlow and still the biggest investor, but it's also supported on Azure. It's also supported on AWS, and you can take the models and move them from place to place. Uh, You can take um, image recognition, and we do this at BA Insight with, um, you know, we introduced an image search capability about six months ago. Even though the models are not interchangeable, you can use these services together and, in fact, get a better result from combining Google and Microsoft image recognition because of a phenomenon called ensemble learning. If you have multiple AI models together, they'll do a better job because some of them will be more accurate in some circumstances and some of them will be better in other circumstances. So I'm surprised that there's not more interoperability. Uh, I'm also surprised at how good what's called transfer learning is getting. When I did machine learning with SpeechRec back in, way back in the 2001 time frame, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I was a uh, headed product and engineering for a SpeechRec startup called Unveil that actually sold to Microsoft and is now being being used within the Cortana SpeechRec. So it's it was kind of cool, but the number of examples we needed was close to a million. You know, we would say, mm-hmm. give us 100,000 recordings of your call center agents talking to your customers, and we'd come up with a pretty good model, and then it would improve over time. In areas like image processing, you can start with a model like, the, for example, the Microsoft Custom Vision Service has just come out and you can give it maybe a hundred examples of something that is specific to your company. You know, for example, we have a couple folks that are doing construction site inspection and they have particular kinds of equipment they want to be able to recognize. You don't need a million examples. In fact, you can do with under a hundred examples. At AI World, I saw several platforms that are able to work with maybe a dozen examples for trained learning using this transfer learning technique. And the the other big change deeper in the technology, if you will, is that what are called deep neural nets, which are simply, you know, more than three layers, have traditionally been completely opaque. You can build the model, but you have no idea what it's actually doing. And therefore, trying to debug things is impossible. And that's, in the search world, why, despite the fact that, for example, um, auto classification can be rules-based or machine learning-based, and BA Insight supports both, but the vast majority of our customers start with a rules-based approach and only supplement it with machine learning when they're going into a new domain. Why? Because these opaque models are really disturbing to work with. If there's something that's not working the way you want, you just can't tell what it's doing, and you have to create new examples 
like that chatbot that learned to be racist simply by interacting with people on the on the web. Neural nets are starting to be more transparent, a little bit less opaque in that you can look at an intermediate level, let's say in between stage three and four of a neural net, and sort of tell what it's doing and sort of affect it. That's a, a real breakthrough in the ease of working with this kind of technology. So, I mean, there's clearly a lot of excitement and significant investment in research, but, uh, you know, perennial question, is it starting to live up to the hype? Um, no, the, the hype is still very heightened. And I think that's, it's sort of normal that along with a lot of excitement, you get a lot of hype. Um, I published a pair of articles about distinguishing reality from hype in cognitive search um, on CMS Wire this late this summer and got really good feedback from that. I think that the people that actually work with and are charged with implementing this technology understand that it's overhyped. The challenge is not about figuring out whether th something is promising too much. It's almost by definition. Even the, the most well-intentioned marketers and analysts are sort of pulled by this force of gravity to into hyperbola. It is still tricky to find the difference between hype and reality, but I, I do find that the majority of people that I talk to are aware that things are overhyped, and that's half the battle right there, knowing that we're, we're talking about a wave and we're still early on, and there's things that don't really require AI to work well, and that this isn't magic, that, that it, it doesn't somehow magically remove the need to attend to data quality or to um, have someone responsible for tending search. So you may change it from someone who's creating thesaurus entries and manually creating query rules to someone who's sort of minding the training examples given to a machine learning algorithm. But there is still work involved. Let's pivot a little bit, uh, Jeff, and talk about what you're doing at BA Insight. But I'm deeply curious about how, you know, you're learning that you, over the last couple of months is, is rolling into the work that you're leading uh, at BAI. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I remain very bullish about our approach to cognitive search, which is essentially jujitsu. We're, we're focused on harnessing the best of the models that are out there from the major platforms and then applying them to search in a way that lets our customers choose. So you'll see a blog article about this on our blog about open frameworks for, for machine learning and search. It's exciting because it is very flexible and because it's transparent. So I've learned, uh, as I mentioned, that you can do a better job combining multiple image processing sort of machine vision algorithms. And that was really easy to add to our product. Um, I've learned that, well, I mentioned the lack of interoperability between dialogue modules. That's kept us back a little bit from producing a general purpose spoken search application. That's still something that I want our customers to be able to work with directly. That I don't want people have to, to have to come back to us to tweak a dialogue. Um, so that's still in the experimental stage where things like recommendations have worked out quite well. So 
We haven't done a lot of announcements in this area since a big slash splash around our Smart Hub, and that was really uh, this summer when we released Smart Hub. We've just kept going down this path, and uh, both in terms of working with multiple search engines, making it easier and easier over time to administer them, and bringing in more of these cognitive models. So some of these things, I certainly wouldn't take credit for. It's, you know, Microsoft or Google improves the entity recognition that they use in their model, and therefore the overall system gets better. But that's sort of the point of keeping this as an open model, as opposed to packaging things into something which we say is, you know, BA Insights repackaging of TensorFlow. In a, in a world that's moving this fast, we decided to keep things open in order to keep them flexible. And that's been working quite well. You're answering my dream of the matrix, right? That eventually there will be a set of curated skills that I'll just be able to plug in and learn. That's my future. Uh, one day I will know Kung Fu. Let's talk about uh, cognitive search. Uh, yeah. And I have, um, I, I guess I will say that there's a dark side to all of this and a dark side to the matrix, as you know. We'll, we'll talk about that over a beer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in my dream state for a little while longer. I always turn off the movie Good. before it gets dark. Uh, practically speaking, I'll say that the vast majority of our customers simply want to know that they have a path forward into this technology. And they start with the basics, just like we still advise people to start with rule-based auto-classification, keep it simple, and get quick value out of it, and then start to add more and more powerful techniques or start to extend to other languages or other domains with machine learning. It's the same thing when it comes to, for example, recommendations, uh, relevance, and dialogue systems. So the exciting aspect of Smart Hub specifically is it works with all of these search engines and it is designed to call to these APIs in a secure and performant way. So let's say that you want to use what's called linked data. There's a more and more open source data in the world. And therefore, if you can relate your own information to what's known in the in the world, you're that much further ahead. That is done through a entity relationship search API on what's called the query side, directly from SmartHub. And we don't expose that to the end user to let them make changes themselves. It's still an administrative fun function. But making that easy to do is is a is a big focus. So we're, we're on a journey here that will really be a couple of years in its full glory, but we're about a year into this process of continually adding deeper and new technology components in from sort of this world of AI, and so far so good. And whatever it is, it's going to be called smart something. Uh, yes, because um, our marketing department has concluded that there's we have no dumb products we have smart analytics and smart previews and smart hub it's an important reminder if it's it th that it's smart smart jeff well uh, yes I, I think there's a place for dumb products but uh, <laughs> apparently they're not ours uh, they're not yours yes uh, and the other thing that um, is sort of an interesting combination there 
uh, with the use of multiple search technologies. Uh, you'll also see on our website, we've added in some comparison in particular for Office 365 versus Azure Search or versus Elasticsearch because as Microsoft continues its rollout, there's some exciting things in Office 365, but it's also uh, a confusing roadmap. There's you know, five different development streams in search. Uh, and for those folks that work deeply with Microsoft, Azure Search is emerging quickly as a very effective platform for cloud-based enterprise search. That's been a, a recent focus of our products to make sure we support Azure Search and make it a very uh, robust environment for folks that are working in Office 365 but want to sort of have more control and transcend the limits of what Office 365 Search can do. Well, it also sort of softens your role in as kind of an intermediary in, you know, what is a, a growing cognitive arms race. Yes, yes. And the, this arms race is only speeding up. You know, the um, investments, you know, one of the themes at AI World was human-in-the-loop patterns for customer service. The human-in-the-loop means that when the when the machine that's answering your customer support question, you know, how do I debug Windows 10 or how do I plug in my Alexa, Alexa Echo? When the confidence level of the machine is low, the technique just says, let me pop it to a person. And that person might be guiding the machine behind the scenes or you might actually end up talking to somebody. Um, and that pattern is being used in lots of places. Uh, I like it a lot because you can't go too far off the tracks. And every time the human is involved, then the machine learns from, from that person. That was the domain of startups a year ago. Now, Microsoft has that technique in use in their Dynamics CRM system. Salesforce uses that technique as well as mid-sized companies like Interaction. And that sort of human-in-the-loop technique has be now become part of the cognitive arms race. So I am hoping that our position, this sort of open framework for cognitive search, brings our customers flexibility, better solution. It certainly has helped us innovate much more quickly. And it's working out quite well. There's, there's a risk that we're adding complexity. If you give people choices and you say you can use the Google or the Microsoft models for this or co combine them, then someone has to make a choice. But if customers need help making that choice, that's our services folks are, 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 are up to speed on all this stuff. Let's pivot just a little bit. I, I want to get your perspective as we get close to wrapping up here on search engine support and how that's evolving. Are, are people giving up on, on SharePoint search? <laughs> I, would, I would like to say no, because Microsoft has a lot of innovation happening in SharePoint search. Sadly, I think that I'm seeing more people look elsewhere. We're, we're seeing uh, you know, a big rise in replatforming of search. Uh, part of that is the reality of the Google search appliance going away is starting to sink in. Part of it is that some of the 
previous generation of search platforms like Idle, which was an autonomy product, which then went through HP. People are, are moving off of a previous generation. SharePoint search is increasingly viewed as being sealed and closed. And part of that is the way that modern search in Office 365 works is sealed today. So we're seeing much more interest in either combining SharePoint search with Elasticsearch or Azure search or having standalone search externally to SharePoint using one of these other search engines and then serving it up within SharePoint or Office 365. So um, we'll see how that how that trend plays out. Certainly people that are highly committed to Office 365 and have most of their content there should absolutely use Office 365 search and add on to it because it's a very capable platform under the hood. But the trade-off between capabilities, control, and ease of administration has been swinging away from control. Therefore, people that want to have something that is tuned to their environment are finding it harder to do with Office 365. Well, luckily, uh, Microsoft has like 17 other search uh, platforms that they're working on. So we should be okay. I, I think we'll be fine. At a top level, almost... I won't say that the different search engine technology doesn't matter. It definitely does. But the basic attention to search and to being, uh, I'll say, change management, to having uh, users be able to provide feedback, to having someone whose job it is to look at the performance of the overall system, including the content creators and consumers, as well as the technology, that's the high order bit in success, having a search strategy and having a, le- a level of attention. And that pays off no matter what search engine you're using. The second factor tends to be the connectivity because mm-hmm. most companies have information spread out all over the place. And that's where our connectors play, the ability to, to bring everything together into either a unified view or specific applications that each have content from multiple places. And then the, the next step tends to be adding structure to improve findability. All of those steps work on any search engine and help you both before and after you adopt AI and search. So the basics are still very important and our focus is in helping people succeed with those uh, without investing in and they have to throw away when they change search engine. Uh, it, it sounds like we're in the middle of an, a, 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 one, still a very dynamic uh, a, a development marketplace watching all these things settle. Thank you, Jeff, so much for your uh, insights and review um, after your world travel exploring uh, AI in search. What, what do you recommend our listeners do next uh, for those who want to uh, invest a little bit more? Uh, Well, I certainly would suggest checking out some of the links that we'll put into the show notes. Those will be um, include things on BA Insights site because we now have a cognitive search site specifically, as well as some external resources. And if you haven't seen this technology in action, just ask for a demo because this is an area where people's imagination is both sparked and calibrated when you actually see something working. 
all the links in the show notes, including, I think you mentioned this collab talk uh, hour that you were going to post. Uh, don't forget to shoot me that link, and I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes as well. So swipe over, check the show notes, and, uh, and you will see uh, everything we're talking about here. Definitely check out uh, bainsight.com, the new cognitive search page. Uh, link in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and attention. On behalf of Jeff Freed, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next year right here on Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight.